Good morning and welcome to this uh, class. And I just want to point out one point from last, uh, just the parasha we just read, and that's on page 491. For those of our homage, page 491. Um, it discusses the building of the Mishkan. And more than half of the book of Exodus, Shemot discusses the building of the Mishkan. And we discussed before the, dis- dis- the, the debate between Rashi and Ramban. What was the chronology of events? Was the building of the Mishkan prior to the building of the calf or after the golden calf episode? And Rashi says that it's totally after the golden calf episode. The building of the Mishkan was a kind of atonement for the golden calf episode. And also because the Jewish people needed a physical image which they showed by building a golden calf. And that's Rashi's opinion, that everything came after the golden calf episode. Ramban says no, that the building of the Mishkan was preordained already. Hashem wanted them to build a Mishkan. And to show that there is, the earth itself is Hashem's footstool, as, God, as King David puts it. The earth itself is a place for God to live in, to dwell on. Whereas the, the earth is not divorced from God. God's presence is also in the earth. In the smallest physical things, uh, Hashem's presence also rests. But in uh, the parasha we just read, there's a little bit of a twist. And that is, on page 491, Hashem tells B'nai Israel to build the, the Mishkan, and it assigns two people, two special people, to build the Mishkan. Betzalel ben Uri ben Chur. Um, the grandson of Chur. Chur was the son of Miriam. And Hur, according to the Midrash, was killed by the people building the calf. He tried to stop them from building the calf. So his grandson, Betzalel, was designated to build the Mishkan. Was his father, his grandfather, was the one who tried to stop the calf. The grandson is the one to build the Mishkan. And with him was assigned Ahaliyab, the son of Ahisamach, the tribe of Dan. And also he's going to build, he's going to help build the Mishkan. And also people... If you look at verse 6, and I have endowed the heart of every wise-hearted person with wisdom. I have endowed the heart of the wise-hearted with wisdom. Double language. So who is a wise heart? A wise-hearted person will get wisdom. What is a wise-hearted person? So Rabbi Shmulevich says, a person who appreciates wisdom. A wise-hearted person is a person who appreciates wisdom. Because before a person becomes wise, they've got to understand the, the appreciate, appreciate wisdom, the strive for wisdom. So that's a wise heart, and the wise heart will get more wisdom. And it's a very important idea of striving for wisdom. That was King Solomon, Shlomo Melech, at the age of eight. Hashem says, what do you want? I'll give you whatever you want. And Shlomo Melech says, I want wisdom. That's a famous story, but he t- it, t- it takes wisdom to appreciate wisdom. So wise heart, it's got to start with a wise heart, and then the person becomes wiser. And straight after that, in verse 12, Hashem says to Moshe, now speak to the children of Israel, saying, however you must observe my Sabbaths. Straight away we have the mitzvah of Shabbat. And the question is, what's it got to do with building the Mishkan? And the answer is everything. It has a lot to do with building the Mishkan. And that is, we learn all the laws of Shabbat from this juxtaposition of these two psukim, of these two verses. We learn all the laws of Shabbat. That is, whatever went into building the Mishkan cannot be done on Shabbat. Whatever went, all the laws that went into building, all the different kinds of work which went into building the sanctuary, cannot be done on Shabbat. We learn it all from here. The 39 forms of work that cannot be done on Shabbat. The 39 forms of work cannot be done. 
So today I want to discuss a little bit of the philosophy of Shabbat. You know, we're not going to talk about the laws of Shabbat, we're going to talk about the philosophy of Shabbat, of why, what for, what's it for. I want to start off with a story, a true story, that happened in the synagogue was the chief rabbi, former chief rabbi of England came here. Rabbi Jacobowitz, of our blessed memory. He was actually elevated by Margaret Thatcher to be a lord in the House of Lords. She, she, he was like her spiritual leader. She didn't go to the Archbishop of Canterbury, she went to the Chief Rabbi of England. Amazing. When she, when she wanted ethical advice, she went to the Chief Rabbi of England. He was a very great man. He was one of the first to, he was one of the first to discuss medical ethics. In 1950s, he wrote a book called Jewish Medical Ethics, which is one of the best settlers. You can still buy it today. Jewish Medical Ethics. He started the whole field of medical ethics. Um, and we brought him over here to talk about cloning. That was his topic, cloning. So he was here talking about cloning, and he was sort of going off at tangents. He was pretty old at that time. And this was the last talk he ever gave, because he passed away a week later. Basically. So he was, his, his subject was cloning. And he was rambling. He was rambling about intermarriage. <clears throat> and I was wondering, what, what is he getting at? What is, what is his point? He's, we're talking about cloning over here. He's talking about intermarriage. And then he's talking about Shabbat now. Okay, so he's rambling about Shabbat. And then he woke us up. He says, just think about this. What do we celebrate on Shabbat? What are we celebrating? Completion of the world. When is it more logical to celebrate? When the world is created or when the world will stop being created? Right? We should celebrate on uh, Sunday, light and dark. We should celebrate on Monday, earth and water. We should celebrate on Tuesday. Come on, all these things we celebrate creation. What are we celebrating? The end of creation. This is strange. Have a day of the week to stop, celebrate Hashem, stop creating. It's, what are we celebrating? We're celebrating the stop of creation. Well, we should be celebrating creation, not the stop of creation. So that was his point. His point was, there's a point at which we should stop creating. You know, science has got to know there's a limit to science. In other words, cloning is maybe crossing the boundary of permission or not. In other words, and that's the greatness of the idea. The idea of Shabbat is a person's got to know when to stop. But the person can become a zombie, just keep on going. Work seven days a week and just keep on going. And that's what God is teaching. is a very important lesson. And the lesson is that however great it is to create, it's even greater to be the master of creation. What is a master of creation? A person can tell the creation stop. And that's the word for God, which is Shin Dalet Yud, which is on the door of every Jew's home. Shin Dalet Yud is... He told his world, die. We sing, on, we sing on Pesach. Die, die, yenu, die, die, yenu. That's one of the names of God is die, stop. Discipline, self-control. And God is the one with the most discipline, the most self-control. That's interesting because most people don't relate self-control to self-respect, but it's totally related. A person with self-control will have self-respect. A person with no self-control will not respect himself or herself. A person who can't control themselves will not respect themselves. Hashem has the most self-control. Because He's all-powerful and can do whatever He wants, and yet He chooses to control Himself. He chooses to be good. He chooses to stop creating. He could have just kept on creating. He says, no, stop. I want to teach my creatures a very important lesson of knowing when to say no, knowing when to say stop, knowing how to stop. So that's the first lesson of Shabbat. first lesson of Shabbat is know when to stop. Know when too much is already too much. <coughs> And that's one of the biggest problems in America today is people don't have self-control and therefore they have no self-respect, no self-confidence. 
because they can't control themselves. They're overweight, they're over this, over that, over that. Blood pressure is too high, it's diabetes number B, and keep on going because we can't say no, we can't say stop. And that's the problem, having too much. Too much of a good thing and good for nothing. So it's uh, <laughs> too much. That's the problem of too much. And so Hashem tells us there's no problem with too much. We've got to stop. Too much creation is also no good. Because we've got to know the boundaries. So that's a very important lesson for science. That's one of the lessons of Shabbat. Number two. So we said that uh, we learned the laws of Shabbat from the building of the Mishkan. We have to build a sanctuary for God. But we also have to remember that we can't do that on Shabbat. In other words, Shabbat is more important than building a sanctuary for God. Uh, we learn a very important idea from there that even though a person, we can't bribe God. There's no bribing of God. You see this also in the sacrifices, in Jewish sacrifices. The Torah says, Don't bring any seor, which is leaven or any honey, as an offering to God. What does that mean? That means in those days, people believed they could bribe God. So what do you do? You bring the gods the best things. You want to bribe God, you bring the best, the best breads. You bring the best sweet things. God has a sweet tooth. That's why the pagans envision God. There was a case uh, last week on the papers about this woman who got baby number 81. Was it 81? And she brought offerings to her gods. You heard of it? She brought coconuts to the elephant god and this and that. Big thing. She, was a, she, she got the baby. They did a DNA test on the baby. She got the baby and the paganism is still going on. She's bringing coconuts to the gods. God has a sweet tooth. That's the pagan idea. It's still going on today in India, other places. So here the Torah says, no, you can't bribe God. There's no bribe of God. Even though you're building God's house, the person shouldn't say, you know what, I'm building God's house. Yeah, I'm giving God a house. Shabbat goes by the wayside. No, I don't want the house. Shabbat is more important than the house. You've got to learn discipline. Discipline is more important than even building my house. So that's very important. But let's talk about the side benefits of Shabbat. The Shabbat is a sign between me and you for generations. It's a sign. The Chavetz Chaim says it's like a sign outside a store. Even though the store is closed, the sign is still up. It means people know that the person is in business. So too with the Jew. What's the sign of a Jew? The flag the Jew uh, wears, the flag is Shabbat. As long as the Jew is keeping Shabbat, it's a sign. He's still a Jew. So the, it's a very important sign. It's an ot. It's a sign between me and you. There are only three mitzvot which are called signs. What are the three mitzvot which are called signs? Huh? Tefillin. It'll be a, ha- a sign on your hand and between your eyes. Shabbat and Brit Milah, circumcision. And the rabbis say we need two signs every day. They're like two witnesses. So therefore on Shabbat we don't wait to fill it. Because you have Brit Milah and Shabbat. But uh, there's no to fill it. So those are three important signs of being a Jew. Three signs. And Shabbat is a universal sign. Let's go through the laws of Shabbat. Number one, uh, in the Ten Commandments... <coughs> There's a contradiction between the Ten Commandments in Parashat Yitro and the Ten Commandments in Parashat Vaitchanan. The Ten Commandments are repeated twice in the Torah. The first time is the actual time they were given, and the second time Moses is repeating it after 40 years. He goes back and repeats to the Jews what they learned already. So the book of Devarim, Deuteronomy, is called this Mishneh Torah, a repetition of the Torah. So Deuteronomy recaps most of the mitzvot in the Torah, just recaps them. So Moshe Rabbeinu is recounting the Ten Commandments also, and he makes a slight changes in the Ten Commandments. And one of the, one of the major changes in, is in mitzvah number four, which is the mitzvah of remembering the Shabbat. Remember the Shabbat to keep it holy. In Vayit uh, Hanani he says, Shamor Yom Shabbat. Keep the Shabbat. So in Parsha Yitra it says, remember the Shabbat. 
and Parshat Vayetchana says, keep the Shabbat. What's the difference between remembering and keeping? So the famous Rashi over there, Rashi says these, these two mitzvot were not, Moshe didn't change anything. They were said at the same time. It was a stereophonic sound. It's the first concept of stereophonic sound. Rashi brings down this concept of stereophonic sound. Today we have quad sound. We have uh, eight speakers going. But here we have stereophonic sound. They heard both at the same time. They heard Zachor v'shamor b'dibur echad nemru. We say every Shabbat, Zachor v'shamor b'dibur echad. Zachor and Shamor was said with one word. The son was said with one sound. So ancient man couldn't understand. God can speak uh, to, can say more than one thing at one time. God is unlimited. He could use many speakers to speak. I mean, uh, it's not just one speaker. He doesn't have any mouths. All this sound is imagined sound. All this. If you were at Har Sinai, we were at Har Sinai, we probably wouldn't hear anything because it was totally a prophetic experience. It was a meditational experience. Har Sinai was a meditational experience of revelation. You don't, you don't see revelation. You don't hear revelation. Not with, at least not with the eyes. It's a meditational experience. They were, they were tremendously on a very high level of meditation. And they, they heard the two things at the same time. Um, so what does that mean? Zachor v'shamor. Remember, how do you remember the Shabbat? By making Kiddush. That's one, number one answer is by making Kiddush. So when we make Kiddush, we're remembering Shabbat. We're doing this mitzvah of Zachor Yom Shabbat. Number two, Rashi says, it's a mitzvah to remember Shabbat every day of the week. It's a mitzvah to remember Shabbat every day of the week. And Beit Shammai says, whenever you buy anything, you go to the store, you find something good, buy it for Shabbat. So you go to the store on Sunday, you need to buy things for Monday. He says, if you see something good, buy it and keep it for Shabbat. So Shammai would eat every day for Shabbat. How would he eat every day for Shabbat? He'd, he'd find something good for Shabbat, and the next day he'd find something better. He'd eat what he bought the first day for Shabbat, and he'd keep the second thing for Shabbat. Every day he was eating for Shabbat. He was always eating up what was not as good. <laughs> so every day he was eating for Shabbat. So how do we remember Shabbat? By mentioning Shabbat every day. And there's a psalm every day which we say in the synagogue. And we say before the psalm, today is the first day of Shabbat. Today is the second day of Shabbat. Today is the third day of Shabbat. So every day remembering Shabbat. So that's a mitzvah according to Rashi. Zachor Yom Shabbat applies even on the weekdays. It's not a mitzvah only on Shabbat to make Kiddush, but it's also a mitzvah during the week to remember Shabbat. So why remembering Shabbat even on the weekday? What's going on over here? Huh? Mental preparation. Excellent. There's a mental preparation for Shabbat. And that brings us to a very deep idea. The idea that Shabbat is linked to Olam Abba. Is linked to the world to come. And the six days of the week correspond to the physical life. The seventh day of the week corresponds to a spiritual life. And one of the songs of Shabbat says, Me'en Olam Abba, Shabbat Makita, right? Me'en Olam Abba, Me'en Olam Abba. We talk about Shabbat as being Me'en Olam Abba. It's a small taste. If a human being wants a taste of the world to come, the only taste in the world to come of this world is Shabbat. Shabbat is the only taste of the world to come. And things even taste different on Shabbat. Famous story, it says, um, Rabbi Huda Nasi was very good friends with the Roman Caesar. And the story goes back to their births. Rabbi Huda Nasi's uh, father, Rabban Gamliel, when he was born, circumcision was outlawed in Israel by the Romans. And obviously he was the Nasi, he's the prince. He circumcised his son. And so the procurator of Israel did not know what to do with him. He was the head of the Jewish people. Liable of death penalty. He's not going to kill him. He's got, there's going to be a, a big uh, <coughs> revolt. So he sent him to Rome. On the way to Rome, the Jew, these Roman Gamaliel had a good friend who also had a baby, Roman, and they switched babies. So they, instead of taking Judah and Nasi with them to the emperor, they took Antoninus, who was a Roman child. 
And uh, the Roman emperor, what happened? What happened? You didn't, you circumcised your child? The Roman emperor says, have a look, check. Check it out. Checks it out, nothing happened. He said, okay, I'll take care of it. I'll sack that uh, procurator. But from that time on, Yehuda and Antinous were good friends. And eventually Antinous becomes the chief, the uh, Caesar. Yehuda Nasi becomes the, the chief rabbi. And they're very good friends. Until one day, it says, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi went to Rome and invited the Caesar to a banquet in Ozana. Caesar comes and he tasted the food, great food. He said, I want the recipe. Give my cook the recipe of what I ate. It was great. So he gives him the recipe and the cook cooks it, but it doesn't taste the same. He comes back and says, Yehuda, you tricked me. You're my best friend, but you tricked me. You gave the recipe, but you missed something out because so Yehuda Nasi said, the recipe included Shabbat and I can't give you Shabbat. It was Shabbat that day. And the food tastes different on Shabbat. So it's the, I suppose it's the frame of mind. The food, even the food tastes different. When a person's on a frame of mind, on a relaxed frame of mind, a different schedule, even the food tastes different on Shabbat. So that's how we remember Shabbat. Remembering Shabbat is every single day of the week. We remember Shabbat, and Shabbat hints to Olam Abba. So that's one of the big hints for Shabbat. It's preparing us for the next world. The person's got to realize, in this world we work, and the next world we can't work. We can only achieve what we achieved already. We can't take anything else with us. We can't do, we can't do anything over there. A person remains on the same level. The next world, you always remain on the same level. Can't achieve anything. Whatever we invested over here, we get payment over there. That's it. So that's number two. Number three. The Jewish calendar doesn't have names for days. In the Jewish calendar, until today, it's interesting, the rabbis never gave names for the days. It's always Yom Rishon, Yom Sheni, Yom Shlishi. Why? Because we're always counting. That's based on Rashi. We're counting down to Shabbat. And so therefore, Shabbat is a goal. Shabbat is the goal. What is the goal of the week? The goal of the week is Shabbat. The Ben Chai says an interesting thing. He says, we view Shabbat as being the seventh day of the week. Really, it's not. It's the middle of the week. How do we know? When is the earliest you can start saying Shabbat Shalom? Wednesday. And when is the latest you can make Havdalah? Tuesday. So Ben Chai says, all the days of the week revolve around Shabbat. Shabbat is like the middle of the week. You got Shabbat. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday builds up to Shabbat. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday is getting the effects of Shabbat. So the Shabbat is right in the middle of this um, seven-day week. So that's another way of viewing Shabbat as the middle, the focus of the week. And on Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah, you can greet Shabbat because you're already preparing down, you're already counting down to Shabbat. So Shabbat's so close now, you can say Shabbat Shalom. And you can say Havdalah till Tuesday. Those who can't, couldn't make Havdalah for some reason. But you can't eat till you say it, right? Right, you can't eat till you say Havdalah. <laughs> and if you ate, you can't say it. <laughs> if you ate, you can't say it. In places like uh, Glasgow and Scotland, uh, they make Havdalah on Sunday morning because it's too late. One o'clock is, uh, Shabbat comes out at one o'clock in the morning. So they wait till Sunday morning. They pray Shacharit and they do Havdalah. And then they have breakfast. So that's uh, one of the uh, ideas. You can still make Havdalah. All week long we work to support ourselves. In that sense we're working for our bodies. And the person got to remember the Neshama. How do you remember the Neshama? So Shabbat represents the soul. So we have to remember the soul. That's really the idea. Zachor Yom Shabbat. Remember the soul. Remember the, the idea that the physical labor is not required. And let's talk a bit about that. That brings us to the next topic. The mitzvah is to rest. Rest from what? Lo ta'asu kol melacha. We're not allowed to do any melacha. There's two words for work. There's avodah and there's melacha. Avodah is 
physical work, and melacha is also physical work. What's the difference between melacha and avodah? So people always ask me, he says, how come you're not allowed to switch on the light, but you're allowed to carry a big, heavy piece of furniture up and down 20 times? Why should one be, why should something small be forbidden and something big be allowed? So the answer is the Torah does not forbid avodah. Avodah is allowed, um, which is, labor is allowed, but melacha is forbidden. Melacha is creative forms of work. Melacha is the work which went to build the Mishkan. Melacha. So there's melacha and there's avodah. Avodah is physical labor which is allowed, <coughs> whereas you're allowed to take a long walk on Shabbat, you're allowed to get tired on Shabbat, but you're not allowed to do creative forms of work even though they're minimal. So it's creativity which is forbidden. Mein afash. Mein afash also means the soul. It's a spiritual time. Mein afash, nefesh. So it's a, it's a time for spirituality. So there's a concept of melacha which is a creative form of work, not avodah. Avodah is another kind of work. So Shabbat is a time for reflection. That's number four. Number four. Shabbat is a time for reflection. An artist is painting a painting. Every few minutes he takes a few steps back. Starts looking at the painting. Yeah, I'm painting, I'm painting, I'm painting. What am I... Let's see if the effects are there. Let me step back and see what I'm trying to achieve. So similarly, Shabbat, we step back and we see if everything's going on track. What am I trying to achieve? So once a year we have Yom Kippur that we use as a major day of reflection. Your Hashanah is a major day of reflection. But really, we're meant to reflect on ourselves every week. Once a week, we're meant to reflect. What kind of week did I have? What am I trying to achieve? Are my goals being achieved? So that's very important. And we have to really, really think about that. A time to reflect. We need time to reflect. Society is so fast-paced. We don't have time to stop and reflect. The person's going to stop and reflect and think, what are my goals? What am I trying to achieve? So that's number four. And number five, Shabbat is an act of faith. Shabbat is an act of faith. Today we take it for granted, you know, a person works, they can take off Shabbat. At one time, wasn't many people you know, who came to America broke their Judaism because they couldn't keep Shabbat. They could get a job and they were fired on Friday. If you don't come back, you're fired. Automatically, you're fired. Don't come back. You don't come back on Shabbat, you're fired. So really, it was a very big act of faith. And that's uh, a beautiful story of a person who was hitchhiking. Remember the story? He was hitchhiking, and he had a heavy backpack. The car stops for him. He says, please, hop in. So he hops in, but he still has his backpack on his back. So the person says, listen, give me a ride. Take off your backpack. Make yourself comfortable. He says, no. He says, no, it's enough. You're carrying me. I don't want you to carry my backpack as well. So it's enough. We tell God, it's enough. You're carrying me. I don't need to carry my backpack. I'll work on Shabbat as well. I'll support myself. Hashem says, no. Put your backpack down and rest. You have to have faith that I'm carrying you. <coughs> so Shabbat is an act of faith to show who is the master of the world. Who do we rely on? And that's a very important idea. And this idea is carried through even in the years. Shabbat is every seven days. But also we have a concept of Shemitah, which the colleges adopted the idea of a sabbatical. Every seven years is sabbatical. It's interesting, it only applies in education. Sabbatical. Um, but in Israel, it applied to the agricultural workers. So today it applies to college professors. But in Israel, it applied to manual laborers. Interesting. That every seven years, the land lies fallow, no one works the fields. What's the concept? The concept is get back to spirituality. Six years, you're mundane activity. Seven years, you're into the intellectual pursuits. Learning Torah. 
And until today in Israel, in the religious kibbutzim, they still close down for Shemitah. Basically, they shut down and, and they, they open yeshivas for a year. They have a yeshiva, yeshiva break. So once every seven years. So just like there's a concept of Shabbat for days, there's a concept of Shabbat for years. It's a wild concept. Um, and it's not a concept of rotating crops because all the, all the fields stop. You know, there's a concept of agriculture rotating crops. Every five, couple of years you rotate crops or you let the field lie fallow. Every seven years you let one field lie fallow, the other seven years you let another field lie fallow. But here the whole country shuts down. There's no agriculture. In fact, it's one of the biggest proofs that the Torah was given by God is this law of Shemitah. Because the biggest dictator writes a book, he's not going to say, you know, stop farming one whole year. He's going to ruin the whole economy. And then he's going to write in his book, don't worry, I'm going to bless you. Who's going to write that? Only God could write such a thing. And that's one of the proofs. So Shemitah is a very important proof. But again, it's an act of faith. Shabbat is an act of faith. Shemitah is an act of faith. So it's a very important act of faith. Yes? Yes. Shemitah is an agricultural venue. In other words, you can do everything else. You just can't work on the land in Israel. Yes. Yeah. land in Israel. Uh, today you have hydroponics. You can do hydroponics. It's not grown in the land. It's grown in water. So if you have agri- uh, hydroponics, no problem. Uh, plus, you've got to remember also that if a fruit's grown hydroponically, the bracha is shiakol. The bracha changes. If you have tomatoes grown hydroponically, it's not grown from the earth. It's not bracha yadama. It's so shiakol. Anything grown hydroponically... It's a different bracha. It's like mushrooms. Mushrooms are shi'akol because they grow from moisture, the Talmud says. So anything grows from moisture, shi'akol, suppose you've got to know they buy these very expensive caramel tomatoes. They're usually hydroponically grown. You've got to know where they're grown. And the bracha could be shi'akol. Why is banana Okay, uh, the banana is a debate whether it's a tree or a bush. And the reason why it's a debate is because um, to be a tree, there's two conditions. Number one, it has to have bark. And number two, it's got to be a perennial, which means the same stalk gives fruit every, every year. The banana, if you look at the banana, they, if you look at a bunch of bananas, they actually cut down the tree with the bananas. They cut the whole uh, branch with the bananas because that branch can never give fruits again. So in a sense, it's not perennial. Even though the, the main tree keeps on going, those branches are kept, keep, keep on getting cut down. If you pluck the banana from the tree, that tree can never give bananas anymore. So they cut the whole thing down. So the whole branch is cut down. If you ever seen them harvest bananas, they cut the whole thing down with a banana. And they only leave a little stump, and from that stump comes another banana tree. That's interesting. So it's, it's not like a, it's like a debate. Is it a perennial? Is it a real tree or not? So we hold its a debate, and therefore we say, Hadama, out of doubt. It's not perennial. It's not really perennial, even though the main stump uh, stays alive. Pineapple is Bore Prehais. It's a perennial. Again, it's it's not a bush. It's a perennial. Has sto- has a uh, has uh, has bark. Then the second condition is the tree has bark. Why are bushes hadama? Why are berries hadama? Even though they're perennial, and the answer is they don't have bark. Whereas the pineapple tree has bark. It's a solid tree, even though it looks like a bush. But it's a solid tree, so it's heights. So pineapple is heights, and berries hadama. Popcorn is um, like a grain. It's a maize, so therefore it's hadama. Is it? But uh, strawberries and raspberries. So it depends. If it's a, it's going to have two conditions for a tree. Perennial and bark. Two conditions for a tree, perennial and bark. If one of them is missing, it's hadama. It's not bush. It's not considered a tree.
that was the big debate about bananas. Yes. Thank you for bringing us back to the topic. <laughs> so the answer is that anything that went into the building of Amidash was considered as one of the 39 forms of work. So all the different kinds of labors were listed as these are the kinds of things. As we said before, that's the juxtaposition over here. The juxtaposition of the Pesukim is build a temple but keep Shabbat. So from there we learn out that whatever went into building cannot be done on Shabbat. So that's the 39 the Talmud lists. In chapter 7 of Shabbat, in Mishnah of Shabbat, it lists the 39 <coughs> forms of work. And even carrying became one of them. So Tosfot asked the question, carrying is not really a form of work because you're not really doing anything. So he says, but it's called a melacha gerua. It's a low form of work. Because really, without carrying, you can't really do anything else. So really, it's, uh, it's not really a creative form of work. The only thing which is not creative is carrying. But you can't do anything without carrying. So therefore, carrying became one of the 39. It's 39 forms of work. Okay, famous story, a Tolstoy. Tolstoy took a story from the Midrash. And he talks about a Poritz, a Polish landowner, who had a, f- a very valuable uh, tenant. And you know, the tenant worked so hard, he got so much food from this tenant, uh, out of his uh, taxes, that he wanted to reward the tenant. He tells the tenant, he says, please, I want to give you as much land as you can run around in one day. That's one I've said it many times. I'll give you as much land as you can run around in one day, so the tenant comes in the morning, wears his shorts, he's ready to jog, starts jogging. On the way, he passes his wife. wife says, please, can you go and get something shopping? He says, no, 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 I'm very busy right now. I'm busy, I'm running. Goes a bit further, he sees the rabbi. The rabbi says, can you make a minyan? He says, no, 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 I'm, I'm busy right now. I'm running, running. Goes a bit further, sees his kid. His kid says, daddy, can you help me with homework? He says, no, I'm busy running, I'm running. He runs, 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 a vast distance, comes back in the evening. And the poor says, wow, you really covered a lot of ground. The guy says, oh, yeah, uh, uh, dies, has a heart attack, dies, drops dead. He says, give him six feet. <laughs> but the bottom line is we can run, 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 run. Hashem says, you can have as much as you can take. The trouble is we can't take it with us. That's the only problem. All we get is six feet if we're lucky. If we're lucky we get six feet, that's all we can take with us. So you have to remember that. That's what Shabbat is all about. Shabbat is slowing us down. Stop. All this running is not going to get you anywhere. Run, 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 run. Remember the Shabbat in the middle of the week. Give us a reason for working. That's got to know the reason for working. We need the self-control. We need the reason for working. And Shabbat is alluded to as the Messianic era or the next world. And we need to remember that as well. Let's go through some indirect benefits of Shabbat. Yes. Um, yes. Meaning the world to come. Yes. Is that referring to our both when we personally die and the Messianic era? The Messianic era is separate. Yimot is not Olam Abba. Yimot HaMashiach, the rabbis talked about. Olam Abba, it says, Ein elokim Only Hashem knows what Olam Abba is like. No one has ever come back to tell us what Olam Abba is. So we don't think about Olam Abba. We know about Yimot HaMashiach. The rabbis talk about Yimot HaMashiach. The Ramam says, nothing's going to change. Everything will be the same. The only difference will be Shibud Malchiyot which will mean no, end, no more anti-Semitism. That's it. Whatever Chabad says, Yimona Mashiach is not going to be something spectacular difference. Well, it will be a spectacular difference. Spectacular difference will be no more anti-Semitism, which is, which is tremendous. There will be peace on earth, and everyone will come to find God. Everybody will come. 
They'll see a Jew on the street. They'll grab hold of him and say, Tell me, how, what do I do? And the Jew will say, I don't know myself. <laughs> what do I do now? But it's interesting, and they all come to Yushalayim. Everyone knows. I mean, it's getting, we're getting close. Yushalayim is the holy city. Everyone knows. And they all come to our temple. Our temple, Kibeti, Beti, Tefilai, Karele, Cholamim. Prophet Micha says, at the end of days, my house will be the house of prayer for all the nations of the world. It'll be a bit of a, you know, the Jews who say we want, we're Jewish, we're proud of it. Everyone's going to come to the Bedevik Tash. It's going to be all the nations of the world are going to come. Instead of a Hajj to Mecca, there will be millions, can you imagine, millions and millions of people coming to Yushalayim. Interesting. But otherwise, everything will be the same. We'll be working and uh, nothing, will, nothing will change. Nothing major will change. That's the Rambam's opinion. But he says we don't know anything about Alamba. Alamba is a totally different kettle of fish. Alamba doesn't mean the world to come in a sense. It's not here already. It's here already for those who pass on. That's the world after death is called Alamba. Shabbat refers to both the messianic. Yes, Shabbat can refer to both. And that's why we say that the messianic era will start in the year 6,000. Six days of the week. Each day is 1,000 years. And the year 7,000 will be the messianic era. 1,000 years of messianic era. Yes. Yes, that's that's where Tehiyat Hametim comes into it. The dead will resurrect, and uh, the body also needs reward. The soul is getting rewarded by water by the body, so the body also gets reward. Uh, not Gilgalim, resurrection. It's two separate issues. Gilgalim and the two. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, for resurrection, yes. That's why it says Yaakov Avinu wanted to be buried in Israel. He didn't want to be buried outside Israel. He didn't want to go underground in the subway. <laughs> it's too painful. <coughs> but again, uh, Ramam says we shouldn't go into these things. These things we don't really know accurately what's going to happen. And therefore, we shouldn't focus on them. It's, it's one of the 13 principles of faith. We wait for the Mashiach to come. We're optimistic. Things are going to get better. But we shouldn't just focus on it and at the expense of everything else. So it doesn't bring to a person to Yerat Shemayim. Mashiach does not bring a person to Yerat The truth is, it's more fun now. This is the world. This is the time where it's more fun. Why is it more fun now? There's much more free choice now. Later on, when the Mashiach comes, we'll lose a little bit of our free choice. And therefore, what we earn will be much less. Right now, a person does a mitzvah, it's worth a tremendous amount. Tremendous amount. A person does a good deed, it's worth a tremendous amount because there's much more free choice. And... According to the level of free choice is the reward. So we have to make the most of our free choice right now. Okay, uh, let's go back to the topic of Shabbat. Okay, Shabbat. What are, the, what are the indirect benefits of Shabbat? Number one. It's interesting. Judaism tells us to build a Mishkan. What does that imply? Sanctity of space. Sanctifying space. Taking the three dimensions physical dimensions and sanctifying it. So, you know, God dwells amongst them in space. So, there's a place for God. We also talked about the high priest. Also, it's right over here. It talks about the building the vestments, the garments of Aharon Akwen, right before Shabbat. Sanctity of person. Person, space. Now we're coming to sanctity of time. So, sanctity of people, sanctity of space, sanctity of time. Torah Torah says everything's going to be sanctified. Everything can be sanctified. There's nothing in the world, that, in the universe, that cannot be sanctified. Our mission as Jews is to sanctify everything. And so that's 
that's uh, another reason for Shabbat is sanctifying time. Um, and through resting, we make the day holy. We sanctify the day. So it's a, it's a whole sign. It's a sign of the creation, but it's also sanctity. The word Kiddush is holy. We find the word sanctity, holiness. Where do we find it? Kiddush. Kiddush, Kiddusha, Kaddish. All these are sanctity. We're sanctifying. That's the purpose. Make a bracha, you're sanctifying. You're remembering Hashem when you eat food. So even the mundane act of eating food becomes a holy act. So whatever you do, the house, you put God's name on it. You're sanctifying the house. The space becomes holy. We're sanctifying everything. So sanctifying time is very important. So all the festivals, Shabbat, we're sanctifying time. We make Kiddush, the sanctifying time. So day becomes a day of peace on earth. And how do we make peace? Number one, we have to produce a state of inner peace within ourselves. How does a person produce a state of inner peace? Just by resting. A person produces a state of inner peace. And you see people who are just drained because they just keep on working. Non-stop, non-stop, non-stop. So the first step is take a rest. And sometimes doctors prescribe rest. The person just overdoes it. He's rest, yes. I know somewhere that resting on Shabbos is really for those who learn full-time during your week. That it doesn't apply to the rest of us. You should pardon the pun. Yes. I agree, hundred percent. Yes, for sure. It depends on how you define rest. Uh, the rabbi said a person who works all week should learn more on Shabbat. A person who learns all week should do other things on Shabbat. In other words, eat more, drink more, relax more. But a person who doesn't have time to learn, Shabbat is the time to learn. It's time to recharge our spiritual batteries. So it's a time for spiritual rejuvenation. Rejuvenation. Um, it's very important. But uh, what are we trying to achieve? We're trying to achieve um, holiness of time. Holiness of time and holiness of person, holiness of space. And how do we start? We start by making peace in ourselves. Produce a state of inner peace by not doing any work, by not watching TV, by not hearing the radio. Someone spoiled my Shabbat yesterday. I just heard about the suicide bomb. Someone came to me, Rabbi, do you know what happened? I said, no, I don't know what happened. How, do you, how come you don't know what happened? What do you mean, how come I don't know what happened? <laughs> how, how would I know that? <laughs> you don't see TV, you don't hear radio, you don't, watch, uh, you don't read the newspaper. What do you mean? You don't? Anyway, so by not watching TV, hearing the radio, videos, by not using machinery, or otherwise relying on external sources of creativity, people are compelled to return to themselves for creativity. You know, the, it's interesting, one of the most basic reactions today, a person goes into the car, what the first thing you do? One of the first things you do, turn on the radio. Why? Well, I don't know about that, but we don't want to be left alone. A person doesn't like being left alone. Solitary confinement. People don't like solitary confinement. It's one of the worst punishment you give a person today. But it's more than that is we don't know how to entertain ourselves. Shabbat is a time where we have to get back to ourselves. <laughs> be alone with yourself. People today don't want to be alone with themselves. They're scared of being alone with themselves. They can't deal with themselves. Or their conscience, or this, or that. Or the tendencies, they, can't, they, can't, they, don't, they don't trust themselves. I don't like being alone with myself. So therefore, what I'm surrounded with gadgets, I'm surrounded with, with uh, creativity around me. All creativity on Shabbat should come from within the human being. Not from external sources, not from technology. 
All week we rely on and often become enslaved to external vehicles of creativity, amusement, email, cell phones. On Shabbat, we must return to ourselves and be liberated from dependence on technology. So all week long, we're dependent on other things. On one day a week, we're liberated from other things. Which is interesting in this technological society, to be liberated from technology one day a week. By the way, technology makes our lives much easier. Thanks to Beit Hillel. Beit Shammah would have made it much harder. Beit Hillel makes it much easier because Beit Hillel says that vessels are exempt from working on sh- from the laws of Shabbat. In other words, uh, your dishwasher, your, your washing machine, your vacuum cleaner, your, uh, I don't know, your electric timers, all these are exempt from resting on Shabbat. Vessels don't have to rest on Shabbat. Whereas Beit Shammai says, no, even vessels are included in the mitzvah of resting on Shabbat. Just like you, your animals, your slaves have to rest on Shabbat, your vessels also have to rest. That's Beit Shammai's opinion. We don't follow Beit Shammai. So fortunately, we follow Beit Hillel, so you can have timers today going on and off, and that's okay. So in a sense, technology is also making Shabbat easier for us, but to an up, up to an extent. We can only use technology up to an extent, automated technology, but we can't use other forms of technology. Yeah, my phone keeps on ringing, it doesn't stop. Someone tries to test me, see if I'm orthodox. (laughs) Every Friday night, 7 o'clock, I get a phone call. I just died to find out who it was. Okay, but uh, so it's, um, so number one, our inner selves are going to find peace, inner peace. Today, people are trying to find inner peace all the time. We're trying to find inner peace, number, number one. Number two, peace between people. Because the truth is, how much time do we spend with our families? I mean, I know myself, I'm crazy. If it wasn't for Shabbat, I probably wouldn't see them. Or probably wouldn't, definitely wouldn't eat with them. Definitely wouldn't sit around the table with them. Definitely wouldn't have time to chat with them. And we said, how much time does a man and a wife spend talking to each other a week? 27. 27 minutes a week. The average man and woman spends talking to, not about who's going to do the shopping, who's going to pick up the kids, and, but basically about talking to each other. Like they're going on a date. We start talking to each other. How, how, much, how long do we spend talking to each other? Three minutes a day. Four minutes a day. 27 minutes a week. So with me, it's all on Shabbat. 27 minutes. <laughs> 27 minutes a week on Shabbat. You're lucky. But... Um, so that makes peace between people. It's very important to make peace. Strengthening the family unit. It's one of the biggest problems today is people don't sit down together. There was an ad by the drug council. Have dinner with your kids. They'll stop drugs. Drug prevention. What do you mean drug prevention? How does it stop drugs? Because kids don't have anyone to talk to. So who do they talk to? Their friends. And what are their friends telling them to do? Do drugs. So instead of them going to associate with their friends... That's very important for having anyone with teens, you have to be their friend. There's an evolution of parenting. The person doesn't know. You can't be the same parent you are with a two-year-old as you are with a 14-year-old. The parenting has to evolve from being a parent to being a friend. You're still a parent, but you're also a friend. A friend parent. Uh, the rabbis talk about Talmid Haver. The Talmid Haver is a student who's your friend as well, who's a chabruta. He's a student but he's someone you learn with many years, so he becomes now your friend. So same thing with a parent. You've been learning with them for many years, now they become not just a, a kid, but also a friend. And that's an evolution a good parent makes, is an evolution from being a parent to being a friend. That's sort of critical. If you want your kids to hang around, you've got to become their friend, not just a parent, but also a friend. 
And that's uh, an important evolution. I see it evolving in two stages. There's, there's um, in terms of discipline, we said uh, when a kid is young, that's the time to be very strict. Very, very strict. What age? One and a half. Extremely strict. And then the discipline is going to come down when they grow older. Not the other way around. <coughs> and the parenting, same thing. You're a parent when they're very young, but that's got to become more friendship when they get older. So there's an evolution in parenting, um, which is very important, evolution of parenting. So peace between people. Shabbat <laughs> serves to get us together. Uh, no one has any appointments to run to. No one has any shopping to do. To invite friends and acquaintances. So Shabbat serves as a day of reunion, elevation for a family. And a challenge. Can family members communicate with each other? Shalom Bait. We light candles. The rabbi said to light candles because of Shalom Bait. Peace in the house. Harmony in the house. And the mitzvah of marital relations on Shabbat. It's a special mitzvah of marital relations on Shabbat. So therefore the closeness between husband and wife is really, the bond is sealed on Shabbat. The, the, main, the main area of getting together is Shabbat. We see each other most on Shabbat. Um, and that's mainly the time to talk to each other. So number one is peace between ourselves and ourselves, inner peace. Number two is peace between people. Number three, peace between people and nature. Shabbat prevents us from tampering with nature. Imagine, imagine how much less pollution there'd be if every seven days people would stop driving. Think about it. Um, there's a company in Israel that gives a person a break. If you're a Shabbat observer, you can rent a car for cheaper. Because <laughs> one day out of seven, you're not driving, so they give you a break. <laughs> so uh, Shabbat laws prevent us from tampering with nature. You can't mow your lawn. Um, you can't uh, go and uh, work in your yard. You can't till the field. You can't plant. You can't do anything. Even your animals are not allowed to work. Wild. I can't ride my horse on Shabbat. Even for the horse, it's pleasure. I can't ride my horse. The rabbi said he can't ride it. He may come to pluck a branch and use it as a whip. I can't, I can't ride a horse. So animals are not allowed to work. No interference with nature. So peace between man and nature. Number four. Peace between man and God. All week we concern ourselves with what we want. On Shabbat we should reflect on what Hashem wants from us. During the week the material dominates. Shabbat is a, way on, a day on which the material should be in the background and the spiritual in the foreground. So that's uh, the third level of Shabbat. Now also there are different categories of laws in Jewish law. Uh, one of the kinds of law is national law. National law which is the law to keep Jews as a cohesive group. And one of the national laws that kept us as a group is Shabbat. Interesting, Shabbat has many different side benefits which you don't even think about. Tremendous, that's a tremendous idea. Shabbat, I mean, it's such a tremendous idea that everyone copied us. So Muslims on Friday, the Christians on Sunday, everyone copied us, this idea of Shabbat is. Not only that, but the seven-day week came from the Torah. We take it for granted today, everyone works seven-day week. You know, in Russia, in communist Russia, they try to make an eight-day week. Because they figured, you know what, we'll make people work seven days, give them the eighth day, never flew. People can't do it. Seven day week is more than enough for people. It's amazing. But that's all based on Torah. We, we take it for granted today. The system came from the Torah. The seven day week came from the Torah. So it's a national law. Um, keeps Jews together as a nation. It's a unique contribution to civilization. It's our contribution to civilization. Um, society stops 
Today we have two days off. Lucky. But it's not really a day off because people are running around. So that's one of the contributions we've made. Okay, any questions? Yes. Yeah, so what you do is if we have timers and you're allowed to attach it. But the milk cannot be used by Jews. So the milk's got to be... Uh, usually they have non-Jewish partners 